Ramble. Our apartment lease in New York City is almost up, which means it's time for that hunt for the perfect apartment again. And I'm sure everyone can agree to this, but when your apartment takes off all of the boxes, you feel so much happier being home. You look forward to going home. But it is hard. It is hard finding the perfect place, especially in a place like New York. For us, we need to have an in-unit washer and dryer. That is like a non-negotiable. We need to have hardwood floors because of my allergies. And we love any unit facing Southwest. That is golden hour prime time. And since we're not in New York City right now, we've been using Apartments.com to help us find our new home. Apartments.com has helped millions of renters find their perfect place with powerful search tools to help find a rental listing that checks all of your specific unique boxes. I love that there's a ton of 3D virtual tours which have come in honestly so handy for us because we're constantly traveling these days. It saves us so much time and money and it's really helpful for if you're moving to a new city. Maybe you're moving to the next town over. Saves you so much time. My favorite feature though is the amenity filters. So you can make sure your possible future home has all of the amenities you need. Like I said, in-unit washer and dryer. But you can even search for units with a balcony so you can enjoy a nice sunrise with your coffee. And once you find a new place that you like, you can even favorite them so they're all neatly organized. I get so excited to apartment hunt every night with my fiance. So visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. Bada bing, bada boo. The winters were brutal at the Linshu boarding school in China. By January, it's usually around 20 degrees Fahrenheit. It is dry, frigid, and the wind makes it feel even colder than it actually is. So it probably feels like 10 degrees Fahrenheit. The sun sets really, really early, and sometimes the wind is so freaking strong, it sounds like someone is outside your window just screaming at you. This particular winter was probably the worst, though, because one of the most popular girls in the entire boarding school had gone missing. The last person to see the missing student was her best friend, Dee Dee, and I think that it's safe to say that Dee Dee has not been the same since the day that her best friend, Gal, vanished. Neither of them actually dormed at the boarding school because they both lived 10 minutes away from campus. So it just didn't make sense to pay the boarding fees and their parents wanted them to stay home. So that night of January 9th, it's a Sunday night, Dee Dee sleeps over at Gao's house. This is their first ever sleepover. And I guess both of them are busy staying up late, enjoying each other's company. Neither of them woke up to their alarm the next morning. So Monday morning, alarm goes off, they gotta make it to school and they're sleeping in. Is this a middle school, high school? High school. They're both 16. So instead, Gao's dad is shaking them awake like, get up, get up, you're late. Come on, start getting ready. They check the time on the clock. It is 6 a.m. in the morning. They need to get to school by 6.15. They're throwing on their uniforms as fast as they can. They're grabbing their textbooks, shoving it into their backpacks. They skip breakfast. They run out the door without even properly saying goodbye to Gao's parents. They have exactly 15 minutes to get to school and get in line for the morning assembly. Side note about the morning assembly in China, it is a very serious thing. Every single morning, students have to stand in line next to their classmates on the campus field. Usually, the line order is even determined, so it's not like you can just sneak in and stand at the end of the line. It's by height. The class president of each class is usually standing at the front regardless of their height. You stand there at attention while the national anthem plays and the flag is being raised, and then every single student runs a few laps around the campus. 
Okay, this like jogging experience isn't really that fun. I mean, it's more enjoyable than taking an exam, for example. But this is the last thing that kids want to do at 6.15 in the morning, especially in the frigid, cold winter of northeastern China. It's like 10 degrees outside. They don't want to do this. Almost all the schools in China do these sort of laps around the campus. The Chinese government makes some form of light exercise mandatory in all public schools. The jogs typically range from a quarter mile to three quarters of a mile. So it's not a marathon by any means. But missing this assembly without a teacher-approved reason is like the equivalent of skipping class. Gao and Didi decide to both just hop onto Didi's bike to save time. They didn't even talk all the way to school. It's like they blacked out, just focused on getting to campus. They end up reaching the edge of campus at exactly 6.13 a.m. And they know this because there's always a warning bell of sorts that rings two minutes before the assembly actually starts. It's like a nice little hint. Get your ass to the assembly now. But bikes are not allowed on the actual school campus. So they have to get off of Dee Dee's bike and walk the bike to the designated bike location on campus, then run to the field. It's like a whole thing. They're still, they got to do this in two minutes. They're rushing. When they finally make it after sprinting to the designated bike parking spot, Dee Dee's sweating. Her best friend Gao is grabbing her purse and textbooks from the bike basket. And she tells Dee Dee she's going to head up to class. Her homeroom teacher gave her a pass to skip this morning's assembly because she's been sick for the past few days, and it's outside in winter. Didi's like half listening. She's chaining up her bike, and then she's thinking, wait, I'm going to the assembly. My best friend Gao's not going, so she can just take my stuff up to the classroom so that I don't have to carry all of this to the assembly because I'm already late, right? This whole thought process is happening within like three seconds. Didi turns around, and she's like, wait, Gao. She's gone. They were standing in a pretty open area, she just walked off like two seconds ago. She isn't even walking off in the distance. Dee Dee literally can't see her anywhere. She's gone. Just vanished into the morning fog. It was weird. But Dee Dee's like, okay, maybe she's sprinting. That's odd. Dee Dee rushes to get the rest of her stuff and she makes it to the assembly. Dee Dee would not see Gao the rest of the day, which is normal since they don't have any classes together. And they normally don't even cross paths with each other during like meal breaks. So nothing is out of the ordinary. At least not until class is over. So the boarding school kids that dormed on the campus, they go wash up. They go to their dorms. They've got strict rules that everybody has to be in bed at a certain time, be knocked out by 10 p.m. Meanwhile, the non-boarding students, they find their own rides home. And Dee Dee's out there waiting for Gal because she's thinking, you know, I'm the one that brought her to school, so I should be the one to drop her off at school. I can't just like leave her hanging. So she's waiting. She sees all the non-boarding kids walk out and Gal's not there. And Dee Dee's kind of like poking her head around to see, is she in the crowd? And then a girl passes by. This is a girl from Gao's homeroom class. And she's like, what are you doing, Dee Dee? Oh, I I'm trying to wait and see if Gao needs a ride home. What? She wasn't at school today. Dee Dee was so confused. I literally just saw her. I, I was the one that dropped her off at school. That's so strange. So coupled with Gao's random vanishing act this morning, Dee Dee felt like she's losing her mind. She almost started second-guessing herself. Did I even come to school with Gal this morning? Like, maybe I was so sleep-deprived that I hallucinated all of that. Wait, but that doesn't even make sense. Gal would never come back to school. She was officially missing. Some of the students at the boarding school thought Gal ran off with some new boy from a different school. Others thought that she ran away to scare her parents into, I don't know, caring more about her, giving her more allowance. They all had their own little theories. But I don't think that anyone was expecting that. 33 days later, 
Gao's body would be found in the restricted area of the boarding school. She would be found half naked, brutally assaulted, tortured, murdered, and even after she passed, there was evidence that the killer or the killers continued to essay her corpse. The boarding school was not only dealing with a killer now, but a necrophiliac. She was found 30 feet away from the dorms in the main building. And everyone in that school, staff, teachers, students, her boyfriend, her best friend, the class presidents, they would all become suspects. We would like to thank today's sponsors who have made it possible for Rotten Mango to support the Innocence Project, the leading nonprofit in criminal justice reform. They've been working for over three decades to free the innocent, prevent wrongful convictions, and create fair, compassionate, and equitable systems of justice for everyone. This episode's partnerships have also made it possible to support Rotten Mango's growing team of dedicated researchers, translators, while they focus on shedding light on stories from all over the world. We'd also like to thank you guys for your continued support as we work on our mission to be working the advocates of these causes. And as always, show notes are available at RottenMangoPodcast.com. Today's case happened in China. We had our Mandarin-speaking researchers and translator help with gathering of the data on this one. But if there is anything that's lost in translation, miscommunicated, or if you have any additional information, please let us know in the comments. Now, just one quick disclaimer before we get started. Almost everyone involved in this case was given an alias. So we don't actually know any of the witnesses' real names. And a lot of the aliases' surnames were really similar or if not the same. So just to avoid any confusion, we will be giving them aliases of our own. So with that being said, let's get into it. The man was sitting down watching TV. This is like the only time during the day that he can truly escape and just forget about everything that's going on in his life. If he had a choice, he probably would not be watching this particular channel. He was not really a true crime fan. But there were a ton of other people in the room with him, and so it's not really up to him. So he sits there, watching this true crime documentary. The focus was on a high school boarding student who went missing years ago. There were so many twists and turns in her case, it made for a good documentary. Until they finally caught the killer. He was a man who read a horror story and got so inspired by this fictional creepy story about murder, death, and lust that he wanted to recreate the same exact scene with a real-life person. He wanted to participate in essay torture and necrophilia. And the man watching the TV? He was the man that they were talking about. He was watching from prison. Just five years ago, the Lin Shu boarding school was in full chaos. I mean, concerned parents are calling the school, some students are transferring to new, safer schools, classes are being interrupted as police officers are rushing through the main building, going room by room, dorm by dorm, searching for 16-year-old missing Gao. They're checking the closets, they're checking under the beds, they even searched the teachers' dorm rooms. But something about the search, it felt like the police were looking for a body, and for whatever reason... They believe that Gao, the missing student, was still on campus. Now, Gao's parents, they're very wealthy, so the police are going to leave no stone unturned. So Gao's dad, he's a prominent business owner who owned this mechanical company, but he also has a strong political influence. He served as a representative of the People's Congress in Lin Yi. So the fact that his daughter is missing, like, this is a big deal. And Gao, she was the flower girl in her class. Out of all the girls in school, a lot of the students said she was top three in terms of how pretty she was. So like the flower girl in Chinese schools refers to a girl that is not only the prettiest in class, but she's usually very smart, usually comes from a good family, and 
she has no idea that she's the flower girl most of the time. Or maybe she yeah. just doesn't or we have... we call it class flower. Yeah. Or oh, school flower. The school flower, yeah. yeah. She was the school flower. She was smart, which is important. She, her parents were wealthy and prominent. She just had everything. And side note, she's not spoiled or rebellious by any means. Like, So don't think like a Nepo baby. Her family actually had a chauffeur, full-time chauffeur. Wow. Gao never got chauffeur to school. She's like, that's kind of dumb because then I would have to sit in traffic for 15, 20 minutes. But if I just rode my bike, I'd be at campus in like 10 minutes so no I, I don't need to sit in this fancy car dad and that's just who gal was and she was very likable and very very responsible of a person and her parents were very present in her life so they're not just like these wealthy business owners that have no idea what's going on in gal's life on january 10th the day that gal vanished gal's parents were very quick to notice that things were weird this is the day of so every single day Without fail, Gao would come home for their lunch break at 12.20 p.m. That day, she didn't come home. She didn't even call to tell her parents that she was going to stay behind and study or anything. This is very unlike her. Gao's house staff, they noticed that her food was getting cold, so they called Gao's dad, who's at work, and they're like, hey, we don't know what to do. She's not here. Is it because she didn't bring her bike to school? So maybe she can't come home for lunch because no one can give her a ride. So in that case, should we send the driver to go pick her up? And the dad's like, you know, it's a little weird, but she's a 16-year-old, you know, and she's at school. Maybe she's having lunch with someone at school. It's no big deal. You know what? Forget about it. We'll talk about it over dinner. They hang up. Now, this part was shocking, but the boarding school ends class actually at around uh, 9.20 p.m. So they get a really long lunch, and that's why Gao goes home for lunch. But they've got these nighttime classes, study sessions where you can get homework done. And it officially ends at 9.20 p.m. Gao was always home at 9.30 p.m. on the dot every single night. Like, she is a creature of habit. She's got a routine that she sticks to. 9.30 p.m. on the dot, she would walk in. The staff or her parents would have a glass of warm milk on the table for her. She would grab it, walk into her room, exhausted, and start changing. At 9.40 p.m., 10 minutes after she's supposed to be home, Gao's dad makes it out to the kitchen area and he stops dead in his tracks when he sees on the table is the glass of milk. Maybe it's father's intuition. We don't know. But he felt that something was very, very, very wrong. He went out looking for his missing daughter. And then the next day, Something really odd happened. So Gao's still not home. Nobody's seen her in school. He has no answers. He starts searching Gao's room, looking for anything, any sort of clue, right? Or something that could point him in the right direction of where his daughter could be because nobody's helping. Everyone's like, I don't know. I didn't see her. Didi's like, I dropped her off and then I was running to the assembly and she vanished. He's scavenging through her room and he finds a folded up piece of paper. It's got a phone number and an address on there. He does not recognize this address, but it's in Shibo County, which is about 200 miles away. To get there, that's like a three and a half hour drive. Gao's dad gets in the car and he starts driving. For three and a half hours, he keeps wondering to himself, what is my daughter doing with this kind of address? Like this is not a, you know, you're 16. You don't just drive three and a half hours. You don't just take public transportation and get somewhere 200 miles away. When he pulls up to the address, he parks the car, looks out the window, and he's like, is this the right place? It's a barbecue restaurant. Not even a famous one. It's just like a random hole-in-the-wall barbecue restaurant. Gao's dad goes inside and talks to the owners. The owner's daughter actually knew Gao. 
and said, you know, Gao is actually talking to one of my guy friends at my school. They had met online and that's how I know Gao, but they've never actually met in person. And I don't think they've even spoken on the phone in the past few months. That's all the information he got. Yeah, but why would she have the address on the paper? Exactly. So it's the question of, did she not throw away the restaurant address? Why did she have it in the first place? Did she plan on going to meet him? Or was there something going on with this boy? Like, what? What's going on? Mm -hmm. Is this where she came the day that she went missing? Gao's dad didn't really know what to make of this, but he knew that he needed to find his daughter, right? So he posted a $42,000 reward for anyone who could help locate his daughter. This is a crazy amount of money in this local town. I mean, it's a crazy amount of money anywhere, but the average monthly salary in this town was around 116 US dollars. The reward is 42,000 US dollars. A bowl of noodles only costs about 70 cents. For this town, $42,000 is life-changing money. It's not even retirement money. It's like generational wealth money. Side note, it's actually so much money that there was a heated discussion in the community about the wealth gap. Because of how much money? Wow. The reward was, yeah. I'm sure it's even more now if you factor in inflation because this took place in 2005. So with that amount of money on the line, I mean, a lot of tips are coming in. All sorts of crazy plots, conspiracies, shadowy figures, organizations, lots of people throwing random ideas out there. But for some reason, Gao's parents, they feel like Someone in that school knows what happened to their daughter. It's not going to be some random person in the community. It's going to be someone in that school. February 11th, 2005, Janitor Lamb was walking down the empty halls of this boarding school. The dorms, the classrooms, the hallways, they're all empty. Which, I don't know, maybe it's more peaceful, maybe it's more eerie, I'm not sure. The students had all gone home for Lunar New Year break. They're all due to come back in just four days. So it's Janitor Lamb's job to get the entire school cleaned up before school is back in session. So that's why he's in school on the third day of Lunar New Year that year. Typically, this is a big celebratory day that he's supposed to spend with family. But instead, he's walking through the hallways trying to figure out what needs to be cleaned. There typically isn't too, too much to clean in the boarding school. The students in China are mostly in charge of maintaining their own classrooms and their own dorms. But the shared spaces, so the hallways, the restrooms, that's where Janitor Lamb is going to focus on today. And he just had this sneaking suspicion that the old restrooms, the out-of-service restrooms, are going to be the hardest part to clean. Now, I'm going to quickly give you the lay of the land. The main building is the academic building, as they call it. It's five stories high, and it consists of all the classrooms, teachers' offices, and about half of the dorms. So it's a mixed-use building. Then on campus, you have another building that's got a few other offices and rooms, but it mainly serves as a primary dorm building. And I believe that's where all the girls are. And of course, you've got the basketball court, the, the field, the parking lots, all of that. But the academic main building is the one that we're going to focus on today. So each floor of that building has old and new restrooms. Most of the old bathrooms in the building are considered restricted and students are not allowed to use them anymore. But you are allowed to go in and use the sink, which makes it sound like it's not that restricted, right? But let me give you some context. So the bathroom layout is a bit different from what we're used to. You know how in most public restrooms, you walk in and there are a few sinks out in the open. Then you have almost this um, hallway of toilet stalls that are lined up next to each other on either side. And then you have to walk out of that little hallway out of the stall to wash your hands. Well, at this school, the old restrooms had that, but they also had a door blocking the actual restroom stalls from the sinks. 
Okay, so separate the hand washing and the actual toilet. Yeah, and it's like a full size door, so you know it's not gonna have the giant gap at the bottom or the top. Like it's、mm. like a full full frame door where every part is covered. So if you want to use the restroom, you would have to open that door, and then you would be facing all of the toilet stalls.、Mm-hmm. And because that door is there, and all the toilets are out of order due to water pressure issues, the janitors they went through and they padlocked all of the doors that lead into the toilet stalls. So truly, you can only go in and use the sinks. You can't even go hang out in the toilet stalls. It's padlocked. Well, before the break, the students considered the sink area of the old bathrooms their personal closet. Their personal trash can. So before break, everyone's like, "Go clean your dorms," and the kids are like, "You know what? I'm gonna go just dump all of my trash in the sink area of the bathrooms." That's what, what? they were doing. So I mean, I guess you could argue that they thought it was okay. Yeah. So、um, most of the trash were. Do you know what wheat husk is? In Korea, we have these pillows as well, where they're like、oh, almost yeah, yeah. grain pillows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. Like like dry wheat. Type of pillow, yeah. Yes, so they would have all of that stuffed in their pillow, and I guess they're trying to get rid of it before the break is over because the teachers are like, "Get rid of your pillow stuffing." So they threw a bunch of the pillow stuffing down the sink because they're like, "Oh, this is organic matter; it should be okay."、Mm. It was a little odd. So Janitor Lam starts cleaning, and his coworker Janitor Huang. So the, these are the two janitors that manage the entire campus, right?、Uh, Janitor Huang told him, "Hey." If it's messy in the old bathrooms again, like it is every time before break, just throw everything out the window. What? It's a little odd, but bear with him. Janitor Huang is saying most of the time they're throwing away like the wheat straws, the wheat husks, right? It's organic matter, so just sweep it all up into a broom and then throw it out the bathroom window. Since <laughs> it's a little odd, since all of the bathrooms are on the same spot. On each floor plan of every single floor, there's no other windows beneath the old bathrooms. So instead、yeah. of like lugging around a giant trash bag and then like putting in the weed husk, just throw it out the window. We can have a pile at the bottom of the window on the ground floor outside. I will funnel it into、oh. these trash bags and then go take it to the dump site. Okay, I mean that makes sense. Yeah. So Janitor Huang is like, hey, whenever you get a chance during break, go in and do that, and then before school starts, I'll come in and clear up all the debris. Janitor Lamb goes in alone, and he starts. You know, it's a it's an efficient idea. He thinks, okay, this is smart. So he starts going from bathroom to bathroom. Now, here's the thing: the window is at the opposite restricted area. So you know how that door leads to the toilet stalls,、mm-hmm. and then at the very end is the window.、Mm-hmm. There's no other window, so he has to unlock every single padlock and then drag it through the toilet stalls and then out the window. Janitor Lamb gets to work on the old bathroom on the first floor. It was messy, just like they suspected. And once he was done, he made his way up to the old restroom on the second floor, and then the third. He gathered up all the trash around the sink area on the third floor old restroom. But when he went to go unlock the padlock to get to the window, it's not opening. And he's like, "Oh my gosh, is this the wrong key?" He tries another key, and then another key because he has one of those like stereotypical janitor keys where it's just like fifty million keys. And he tries every single one of his keys, and none of them are working. And none of this is making sense. Janitor Lamb had been the one personally, the one to install all of these metal padlocks in the restrooms, and he distinctly remembered adding a key onto this keychain. This is the only keychain he has. And he's standing there for a brief moment, hands on his hips, confused. Like, is there some sort of glitch in the universe? This is so odd. But then he notices, wait, that's not the padlock that I left. It's a different padlock. Maybe it's a different brand. Maybe it looks different. He's like, I just know that's not the one that 
I had. So who would do that? Why would they take away my padlock? How would they even get my padlock open and then replace it with their own padlock? Hmm. Yeah, they have to remove it first. Yeah, and he's like, okay, weird, but maybe Janitor Huang replaced it because it broke or something and he just forgot to tell me? Who knows? Janitor Lam went to the storage room and found a pair of pliers. He runs back to the old restroom on the third floor and starts working to break off the metal lock. He gets it open in maybe like three, four minutes. The door slowly creaks open and the toilet area somehow has been completely trashed. This restricted area that nobody's allowed in is trashed. The area is filled with random junk, pieces of wood, clothing, fabric, glass, unwanted papers, empty water bottle lids, plastic bags, random empty tubes of toothpaste. But even through all this trash, Janitor Lamb could see at the very last stall, near the end, sticking out from the stall was just a pair of white pale legs on the ground. And they were not moving. Once he processes that information, he U-turns it out of there and starts running down the hallway. The school is so empty. He keeps running all the way to the teacher's offices just in hopes that some of the teachers had come into work to prepare for the kids coming back soon after break. He runs to the other side of the building, swings open the teacher's office door, and they're like, what is going on? There's like one teacher in there. You look like you've seen a ghost. He gets two teachers. He's like, we need to find everybody else. He gets two teachers to come back to the third floor restricted restroom with him. And he's like, okay, maybe the pair of legs are gone now, right? That would be the best case scenario. Maybe I thought someone is dead, but it's just all a harmless prank. Or maybe it's like a drunk student that somehow got into the restricted area, passed out, I opened the door, and then they got up and walked off, right? The legs were still there. An emergency call was placed at 2.04 p.m. from the boarding school. Because it was Lunar New Year, only one police officer was able to make it out to the school. The school faculty rushed him into the restroom, and on the third stall on the left, there was a dead body. The body belonged to Gao Ting, the 16-year-old student who was missing since January 10th. For over a month, students at Lin Shu Second High School were studying and living amongst a dead body. For 33 days, she had been in the restricted restroom on the third floor, just 30 feet away from the dorm rooms. She was found in the bathroom stall, face down, naked from the waist down. Above her waist, she was wearing a two-layer thermal bra. The rest of her clothing was off, but someone had wrapped her torso in like a white plastic bag. And around her neck was her scarf. The scarf was still tied very tightly around her, and it looked like someone did or tried to strangle her with her own scarf. The bottom half of Gao was covered in dirt. Underneath Gao's body was a red puffer jacket, her blue cashmere sweater, and a red pole. It looked like a mop handle without the mop head. So like, think of like a broomstick. And all over the bathroom stall, there was just a ton of blood. There was blood on the clothes, on the walls, on the floor. Some of the dried blood stains had hair, clumps of hair just dried up in it. Just going off forensics and the damage done to Gao's body, a really just strange, dark picture starts to emerge. So Gao is found naked from the waist down. Someone strangled her with her own scarf. Gao's left cheek had four visible finger indentations on them. So it looked like someone had either slapped Gao with so much force that it left an imprint on the side of her face, or it looked like someone was grabbing her face, like gripping her face. Her skin had abrasions and bruising all over her face. And in the center of her forehead, she had a wound that contained tiny glass fragments inside. 
Most of the injuries were on her forehead and on the right side of her face near her temples. It was clear that she put up a fight. When forensics later unwrapped her from the white plastic bags, she had these neat, meticulous cuts on her torso. There was a vertical incision on her stomach in between her breasts. So it started up in between her breasts, like literally in the center of her torso. And then it went all the way down to the top of her belly button. It was about seven inches in length. It's like they wanted it to be very, very, very straight. There was another much shorter vertical cut right next to the main one. And on Gao's lower abdomen, there was a fully open wound that went from underneath her belly button diagonally towards the right side of her groin. It was deep. You could basically see her internal organs from how deep it was. And all over her thighs, she had these smaller vertical and horizontal cuts. They were not as deep as the one on her abdomen, but they were just like crisscrossing each other. It is clear that whoever did this is very sadistic. But it gets a bit stranger. So initially, authorities assumed that the essay was going to focus on a very specific region in her body, like the one that you would immediately think of. And they did find evidence of assault, but they stated that her hymen was still intact and they believed that there was no full penetration prior to death. Some experts stated that perhaps whoever did this had plans to assault her, but then realized that he wasn't able to sustain the correct, um, correct amount of blood flow down there. And they theorized that someone wanted to assault her, could not maintain the correct amount of blood flow, got very angry and started punishing Gao for his own incapabilities by slicing up her body and ultimately strangling her with her own scarf. Another forensic detail that could maybe be used to bolster this theory is translated reports state that her private back region was in a, quote, open state and that the muscles around her region were, quote, loose. This indicates that after her death, Gao had been essayed back there by foreign objects. The reason wow. being that if it happened before her death, more likely than not, her muscles would have contracted back to her normal resting state, but they didn't because she's not alive. Wow. Authorities are pretty certain that the red broom handle that was found underneath her body was used. So you're talking full on necrophilia. Lastly, there were red, large red patches covering her waist, thighs, and butt everywhere. And Gao's belongings were also found in the restrooms. Her English textbooks were neatly placed on the left side of the toilet, like stacked on top of each other. And she had two textbooks. So the bigger textbook was underneath the smaller textbook. So it just felt very organized. Someone placed it there. Yeah. And uh, side note, these are squatting toilets. So they're less like a chair-shaped toilet, but more like a more or less a hole in the floor with plumbing. And her textbooks are found next to that on the floor. Her shoes are found pointing towards a wall, side by side, very neat. Almost like you take them off when you enter someone's home. Inside mm. each shoe was a sock. Her shoe and her socks had dirt on them. As if in some sort of fight, she slipped off her shoes, her socks got dirty, and then someone organized it afterwards. Because there's no reason for someone to take off your shoes and your socks in a restroom. But why would someone organize that afterwards? Exactly. As for her jeans, they were found draped over the stall wall with dirt around the knee area. Now, this is interesting, but... Inside the toilet, there were also other things. So the toilets, like I said, there was water pressure issue. Nobody was flushing anything down this sewage line. So they were found stuffed in the toilet, but they weren't taken down into the septic tank. There were four new plastic bags. When they opened up one of the bags, Gao's underwear was found. And a poem, some sort of letter. It was addressed to Gao and it reads, If a drop of water represents a blessing, 
I give you the East China Sea. If a star symbolizes happiness, I give you the Milky Way. If a tree signifies a longing, I give you a whole forest. If a stone embodies health, I give you Mount Tai. May you receive my New Year wishes. I hope for your joy and happiness. Happy New Year. And the name? It's not signed. So it's a love letter. Yeah. That was wrapped up in a plastic bag with her underwear. Did they keep that? Did they study the right handwriting because that's like stalker behavior, right? Yeah. And Gao would have died before Chinese New Year. Now Gao's parents refused to pick her up from school. They wanted answers and they wanted justice, and they believed the fastest way to get that was to leave her body on the third floor restroom for as long as possible.、Wow. There would be no way for the school to brush it under the rug or come up with some sort of excuses or move on with life as normal. And I know some people might think that this sounds really callous. Like, why would you want your loved one to be in that state for any longer? Like, they need to be laid to rest, right? So we can all have our own opinions on this, but it did get the job done. There was immense pressure on the school, the police department, to figure out who did this to Gao, and they had four main suspects: Gao's boyfriend and the four male roommates that lived in a dorm thirty feet away from the restricted restroom. To give you context, that's like walking twelve steps. Thirty feet sounds like that's twelve steps. Twelve steps away from the restroom. My dogs will eat anything. I mean, I have two Frenchies, and it's a daily struggle to keep them from trying to eat toilet paper, bees, even trash. My dogs have no idea what's good for them, and you know that's okay because their job is to be cute. My job is to take care of them to the best of my ability. That is why I only buy the farmer's dog dog food. Think about it. Most dog foods claims it's made out of whole ingredients, but then why does it come in the form of these very crusty pellets? But dogs will eat anything you give them, even dry kibble. Most dog food claims that they're made out of whole ingredients, but when I stare at these dry kibbles, it's very hard for me to see the whole ingredients. And I always had to mix in bone broth or water because it would be so dry that my dogs would eat too quickly and they would hack it up. It just didn't look tasty. The farmer's dog believes that all dogs deserve to eat real fresh. Food. That's why Farmer's Dog dog food is made from whole wheat and veggies and gently cooked in human-grade kitchens to preserve nutritional value. It makes me feel so good seeing my dog's little tails wagging. Sometimes Mango's entire butt will shake when it's time for their dinner because they know and I know that they're eating fresh, healthy food. It genuinely looks like human food. I've noticed such an improvement in how shiny and soft their coat is, and their breath doesn't teleport me into another dimension anymore. I can see the veggies in their food. I mean. My dog always gains a little bit of weight this time last year, just because they move around less when it gets a little bit colder. So I feel like it's very important to always watch portions in the winter months. The farmer's dog makes it easy to monitor my dog's portions. Our dog's meals arrive in pre-portioned, ready-to-serve packs, which is super convenient. All you need to do is tell the farmer's dog about your puppy or your dog, and they'll deliver personalized, vet-developed recipes for as little as two dollars a day. And you can adjust the recipe selection, portion sizes, and delivery cadence according to your needs and schedule. Get fifty percent off your first box of fresh, healthy food at thefarmersdog.com/mango. That's fifty percent off your first box at thefarmersdog.com/mango. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car, like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive. You can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. 
And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales events on Camrys, Corollas, and more. you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Let's start with Brian, the boyfriend. Now, those who knew the couple said Brian was uh, not a great boyfriend. Technically, Gao could have any guy that she wanted in the school. Like you said, it's a class flower. She was the class flower. Boys from other classes would even go out of their way to walk past her classroom just to get a glimpse of her. And yet, Brian never treated her like a flower. Side note, they are called boyfriend and girlfriend a lot in a lot of sources. But for a lot of Chinese high schoolers, they're usually not officially a boyfriend and girlfriend. So dating in Chinese high schools might just mean that they're talking to each other more than others. They're sharing lunches and waiting for each other in the hallways. But they don't really go on dates. They don't really like do stuff outside of school. So Gao and Brian, they weren't getting along. It's speculated by classmates that Brian cheated on Gao and dumped her for another girl. So two to three weeks before Gao's disappearance, Gao asked her class president, so the president of her little classroom, to pass a letter on to her boyfriend, since he's not in the same class as her. And I guess the class president read it and told some people about it because it was Gao scolding Brian about how he shouldn't play with her emotions and she doesn't like him being with other girls. So you're saying the information was leaked. Yeah. So their friends thought that Gao was very, very much into Brian, but he was just this toxic, toxic boy. And he would hit on other girls knowing that Gao would find out. And Gao's mood would just swing back and forth depending on how her relationship was going. They said it was very weird because Brian was the one that relentlessly pursued her. But now they're together and he's honestly treating her like trash. Now, another interesting detail is Gao's classroom is on the second floor. She was found dead on the third floor where Brian's class is. It was speculated that maybe Gao went to go see Brian and see if he's in class instead of the assembly, but instead she ran into her killer, whoever that may be, Brian or not. But to the police, for some reason, they didn't really want to base their investigation off of relationship rumors. They're like, first of all, we don't even know that they were dating. And second of all, You don't just like kill someone after you cheat on them. That's weird, especially a high school kid. And they couldn't really find evidence against Brian at the time. I don't know if he was at the assembly that morning or not, but they couldn't find evidence against him. So they start following other leads, like the four roommates of the dorm closest to the restroom, Albert, Peter, Jason, and Sammy. They're immediately suspects because their dorm room is so close, but also because authorities went into their dorm room to do another in-depth search. So remember how they were searching all the dorm rooms prior when Gao was missing? Mm -hmm. They were just looking for Gao. So they're like looking under the bed, looking in the closet. They're looking for a person or a body and they're not looking at minute details on the wall. This time they do an in-depth search and they find that one, someone moved the bunk beds. They thought that was weird. Why, why did you move the bunk beds? Like kids usually just don't like randomly rearrange their rooms, at least not in these dorms. And second of all, there was blood splatter on the walls near one of the lower bunk beds. So the new running theory was that Gao was killed in the dorm room and then dragged into the restroom afterwards. But when they tested the blood on the walls, it wasn't Gao's. And as for the bunk bed being moved, one of the roommates had a very 
pretty legitimate reason of like why he had to move it because he had to move luggage around. It was a whole thing. And his parents were there when he moved it. So the police dug a bit deeper into these four roommates and most of them, they were in Gal's homeroom class. They had been interviewed when Gal went missing and they all said they had no information on where Gal could be. Like they knew nothing. They knew nothing. But after finding Gal's body, now they knew something. Now they're like, you know what? Actually, I do know something. Side note, Sammy was quickly ruled out as a suspect because he was at the assembly that morning. Albert, Peter, and Jason were not at the assembly that morning. So let's start with Albert. Albert told authorities that the morning of January 10th, he was in the dorm room. He was given explicit permission to skip the school assembly because of a foot injury that he had, so he can't run laps around the campus. He was laying in bed, and then around 6.23 a.m., The other students are jogging and it's quiet. He hears a series of increasingly loud screams coming from outside. It sounded like someone was in distress. And at the very end, he said that he could hear someone screaming something along the lines of, what are you doing? Albert wanted to jump up and run outside, but foot injury, remember? It was going to take him quite a bit of time to put on his shoes. Thankfully, his roommate Peter is in the dorm room with him. Peter is fine. He puts on his jacket, runs outside to investigate. Albert puts on his shoes as quickly as he can, but he's like, he's following out after Peter. He's late. Once he opens that door, he can see Peter standing in front of the restricted restroom talking to two male students. Now, if you had to take a guess, it looked like the two guys had gotten out of the restroom And they're trying to act chill outside of the restaurant. It was kind of weird. And Peter was asking them, hey, did you guys hear the screams? And Albert can't really see them. He can't really hear them. He's just limping closer and closer to them. And by the time that he gets there, the two guys had walked away. So now he's alone with Peter again. And apparently it was just nothing much to see. Albert didn't really think much of it. He just kind of shrugged it off. He went back to the dorm room and started getting ready for the first class of the day. So they live on the third floor, but their main classes are on the second floor. So they've got to take the stairs down. And while they're going down, he said that he ran into another student named Zhang. Everyone had at least heard of Zhang because he was the class president for class number 24. And Albert had actually gone to middle school with Zhang. Anyway, Zhang lived on the second floor and he had his classes on the third floor. So they meet on the stairs. They run into each other. And they cross paths and Albert casually asks Zhang, like, hey, were you at the assembly this morning? Because I wasn't and I heard some screaming. Did you hear any screaming? He said that Zhang said yes. And that was it. Hmm. And he was like, that's so interesting because it seemed like the screams probably weren't loud enough to be heard on the second floor. And also, why wasn't Zhang at the assembly at the time then? Police asked Albert, was Zhang one of the guys that Peter was talking to in front of the restroom? I'm not sure. All I remember is I think that one of the guys was really tall, maybe like 5'6". The other one was a bit shorter, like 5'4". So he knows their heights, but he doesn't know any other identifying factors about them. So Albert injured his leg. Yeah. He didn't see the two people. No. But Peter did. Peter was talking to them. Mm -hmm. So why didn't they just ask Peter? I guess Albert... Oh, the the police are going to ask Peter in a second. But I guess Albert didn't ask Peter because he's like, I don't know who they were. Yeah, he was like, I don't know. It was way too early in the morning and the lights in the hallway were dim, so I didn't get a good look at the boys. But Peter did. He's the one talking to them. So Peter tells authorities that he was skipping the assembly that day too. 
They're like, why? He stated because he's a little chubby. That's what he stated. He's plus size. He struggles with body image and his teacher lets him skip the morning jogs. So he's staying in the dorm room with Albert. And just like Albert, at around 6.23 a.m., he hears screaming. And he said there would be like a scream and then 10 seconds of silence and then a scream and then 10 seconds of silence. And then finally, the last scream was something along the lines of, what are you doing? Help! By that point, Peter was already putting on his clothes to go investigate. So he runs out of the dorm room and he says, I saw two guys standing in front of the restricted restroom and one of them was Zhang. But the other guy, Peter was like, I don't really, I'm not familiar with this guy. He's not in any of my classes. All I remembered was that it's a guy that wears glasses. Later, Peter would be shown class photos to ID the second guy outside of the restroom. And it was a student named Kenny. So Kenny and Zhang are standing outside the restroom, but it looked like they're kind of facing the restroom. Like it looked weird. It's like, what are you doing outside this restroom right now? There's an assembly going on. Why aren't you at the assembly? Peter said he asked them, what are you doing? And Zhang just responded, we're not doing anything. Peter thought it was so strange that he kind of stuck his neck into the restroom, the restricted restroom, and the main door to the toilet still appeared to be closed. He didn't see if it was padlocked or not because, you know, why would he? But everything seemed normal in the restroom. So he turned to the other two guys outside and said, who was the one who just screamed? And he said that Zhang responded so bizarrely. He said, just some female ghost. What? Female ghost. Or some beautiful girl. Peter's like, what are you saying? And then he's like, I'm kidding. It's probably nothing. And then they walk off. And Peter thought they were so weird. Like maybe they just have an odd sense of humor, but that's so weird. He didn't even have a proper response. And then Albert catches up, Zhang and Kenny leave, and Peter's like, weird. Later that day, he runs into Zhang again and asks him once more, what were you doing in front of that restroom on the third floor? And he just said, oh, you know, Goofing around with my girlfriend. Last Peter remembered, Zhang didn't have a girlfriend. So he's like, what is this guy saying? It was just weird. Initially, Albert and Peter seemed like very credible witnesses, right? Both of their stories, I mean, they're a little bit different because Albert didn't see anyone or didn't see the exact people standing outside the restroom. But the event seemed to be the same. But what is weird is that both of them completely failed to mention a third roommate that's in the dorm room with them at the time. Like, it's very odd. You would think that that's something you remember. They just took it out of their testimonies. You would have no idea that Jason was laying in bed in the dorm room. He wasn't even asleep. He's right there with them. Why would they not mention that he was in the room? Didn't he run out too? He just lay there the whole time? Jason's story doesn't add up either. Jason was questioned by the police and he said that he was skipping the school assembly because of a stomach ache. He said he was laying on the top bunk waiting for classes to start. And that's it? Yeah, that's it. Then he went to class. He makes no mention of any screaming, no mention of people running out, his dorm mates. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I was just laying there and then classes started. So I went, I didn't hear any screaming. It was just weird. Is Jason lying? Are the others lying? Was Jason so sick that maybe he tuned out the screams? Police didn't really know, but they did want to investigate Zhang and Kenny, the two boys outside the restricted restroom. So Zhang is 15. He is a year younger than Gao. 
He was the opposite of Gao in terms of family wealth. He came from a not-so-wealthy family. They often struggled to put food on the table, but Zhang was kind of their hope in life. He studied really hard to get good grades and even became the class president. So his parents put a lot of faith in him, and it was shocking to him when February 13th at 1 in the morning, police start bursting in through the family door, and they're surrounding 15-year-old Zhang's bed and arresting him for murder. He was brought in for questioning, and initially, Zhang and Kenny, they're denying the whole thing. But the officers are basically telling him, look, the jig is up. After a 30-hour interrogation, they both confess to the heinous crime. Wow. There is a short storybook series in China called Horror Stories. It's really popular. My husband said that you read the series? Yeah, it's like a weekly or monthly. Yeah, I'm it's, trying to find like an American equivalent. But yeah, I, I, it's like a weekly series. There's many volumes and the short stories of yes. random little things, right? Zhang said that he was reading horror stories, a little short story collection. And in there, there's a short story called Vampire. And he's like, come on, this is all going to make sense. It's about a group of friends at school who keep hearing a girl screaming from the restroom. And initially they think, oh, it's just a prank. Maybe one of the guys snuck in there and is screaming, trying to freak people out. But throughout the day, more students hear the screaming and they all think about investigating, but they're all kind of scared, so they don't. By the end of the day, most of the students have heard the screams and they're all whispering about, okay, well, let's come up with some spooky theories. At the end of the story, the students find out that one of the girls in their class was in the restroom when her body was abducted by a ghost. A ghost took her soul and her body was just left behind, lying lifeless on the toilet. That's what they said. But the truth was, when police came to investigate, it was not a female ghost that sucked the soul out of her. The police concluded that the victim was killed by a male student who wanted to fulfill his perverted wishes and kill a girl in the restroom. This is all a story. Yeah. Okay. Which sounds like a lot of eerie parallels here, right? Is it a strange coincidence, or was Gao's murder inspired by this story? Zhang confessed, the morning of January 10th, he woke up late, so he missed the morning assembly. And since he already missed it, he might as well hang out in his dorm before classes start. So he's sitting there, flipping through, you know, pages of his horror story book, and he starts getting excited by the explicit content in the book, and it makes him want to try it out for himself. He wanted to have sexual relations with someone. And he said, after reading horror stories, I wanted to have intercourse. So he ran up to the third floor, he ran into Gao Ting, and look, he's not seeking her out or anything, it was just a happy coincidence. At the time, he didn't even know her name, but he thought that she was pretty. He reached into his pocket and grabbed his pencil knife. So pencil knives are used commonly in China. It's like a box cutter, but it's used to sharpen wood pencils. He creeps up behind her, and he holds it to her neck, drags her into the restricted restroom, pins her down on the ground, and he said she started screaming, What are you doing? Help! Two or three times. So he quickly used his left hand to cover her face, like grip her face, and she stopped breathing. He also used another hand to strangle her with her own scarf. He was just trying to get her to stop screaming. That was his main motive. Afterwards, she's not screaming anymore. He tugged her pants down and squatted above her trying to essay her. But, quote, because it was my first time, I didn't really know how to do it. So I was struggling. But then her two hands started coming grabbing up on me and I placed my left hand more firmly against her nostrils because now she's like fighting back again. And I realized that she had stopped breathing. So at the time, I was very scared. 
He said he was so freaked out, he decided that he was going to put her body in the restricted stall of the restroom. He got up and started kicking the metal padlock until the door latch fell off. So the padlock was in place, but the latch fell off. All he would have to do is nail the latch back on with a new padlock. What? That's what he said. He dragged Gao's body inside, brought in all of her things, and he rushed out of the bathroom and ran straight into Kenny. Now, thankfully, Zhang and Kenny had been friends since middle school, and Kenny was curious. He's like, what are you doing in there? Zhang told him what happened. He's like, I just wanted to essay a girl, but she ended up dying. And Zhang's like, I just have a quick favor. Please, can you just watch the door while I go buy a new padlock for the bathroom? Kenny agrees and stands guard near the toilet stall. Zhang brings in a new padlock, locks it up, and the two go back to their morning classes. That afternoon, Zhang said that he bought like one of those white plastic bags from his classmates. It's a big bag. It's kind of like a burlap sack, but it's white. So imagine like a, like a rice bag that size. He brought it, went back into the toilet to wrap Gao's upper body in it. But he didn't stop there. The next day, while everybody else is in class, Zhang said that he went back to the restricted restroom and he just couldn't help himself. So he engaged in necrophilia, forced activities with the corpse's mouth, the body's mouth, then used a mop to sodomize the corpse. He started using his pencil sharpening knife to make cuts all over her body. And he said, I was annoyed because I wanted to have intercourse with her and all of the other things like using the blades to cut her, the... um necrophilia all of those were learned in the book he continued eventually this is after she's passed eventually i have finished and i wrapped it all up in a tissue because i was afraid that someone might find out and i learned that from a tv show that was his confession March 3rd, only a month after Gao's body was found, Zhang was tried and sentenced to life in prison for a sexually motivated homicide. Kenny got three years for obstruction of justice. And my question is, can a mother ever accept the fact that her 15-year-old son is a necrophiliac? That she raised a necrophiliac that's capable of essay and murder? Zhang's mom just wanted to know how and why because she couldn't believe it. Like she's trying, but she can't believe it. I mean, she would argue with people. He is a piece of meat that fell from me. He's kind. He's timid. I know he wouldn't do such a thing. Some people felt bad for her for being so blind to her own son. Others just felt angry for raising a son like this and still taking his side, enabling him. This is the reason he turned out the way he is because you can't see the truth in your own kid. Zhang's mom remembers, no, but it just doesn't make sense. During parent-teacher meetings that winter, she was walking through the hallways with Zhang and she was feeling anxious because all the other parents were talking about the missing girl that was from the school. So she turned to him and said, hey, honey, have you heard anything about this missing girl from school? Should I have anything to be worried about? Are you going to be okay? And he said, I don't even know the girl. I don't know what you're talking about. But now he's in prison for her murder? She's like, something's not adding up. Every chance she got, she would visit 15-year-old Zhang in prison, and every meeting was the same. She would sit there in front of him with a crumpled-up tissue, begging him to just tell me what happened on January 10th, just what happened. And he would sit there. He wouldn't even look at her. Not a single sound was coming out of him, just tears quietly streaming down his face. And for six years, he didn't tell her a single thing about January 10th. Until 2011, he saw himself on the crime show on the TV prison, and he realized this is what the whole world probably thinks of him. A monster. And he just couldn't do it anymore. He was listening to these reporters and documentary makers talk about how he essayed and murdered a teenage girl and how he hid her body in the school bathroom. But that wasn't him. He never did that. The next time, 
his mom came to visit, a now 21-year-old Zhang told her, for the first time in six years, Mom, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I was framed. And his mom believed him. For the next 10 years, the two of them would appeal his sentence. Just to give you a timeline, the crime took place 2005. 2011, Zhang decides to speak up against what he believes was a wrongful conviction. 2012, their first appeal was rejected. 2012, their second appeal was rejected. 2018, their appeal was finally accepted by the Supreme People's Court for a hearing. But that hearing was postponed over and over until the court finally saw his case January 13th of 2020. Nine years after he told his mom, I didn't do it. And that's after six years of already sitting in prison. At this point, Zhang was 30 years old and he had spent half of his life in prison. The Shandong Higher People's Court reviewed his case. Zhang and his attorneys, who were really competent, by the way, and his attorneys were taking his case pro bono. He had two attorneys that believed in his innocence so much that they actually self-funded the case and spent like $100,000 of their own funds to fight for him. And they argued a few key points to the appeal judge. He, they said, first of all, forensic and authorities have agreed that Gao's murder likely happened while everyone was at the morning assembly Monday morning. The timing made the most sense. But also, Gao's stomach was empty, which if you remember, she and Didi were running late, so they didn't have time for breakfast. So again, very likely the murder occurred during the morning assembly. Zhang was one of the class presidents. He was in attendance at the morning assembly, but... He skipped the jogging part because it was his duty to bring his classmates' jackets back up to the classroom because they get hot when they jog. The morning jog starts at around 6.20 a.m. So Zhang starts heading back to the main building at 6.20 a.m. with all of his classmates' jackets. Albert and Peter said they heard screams at 6.23 a.m. That would have been very difficult, physically very difficult for Zhang to even run to the main building and run up three floors in just three minutes. And then fully attack Gao to the point where she's screaming for help? Yeah, and, and earlier they said that he didn't attend the assembly. He was in the dorm. Mm-hmm. So that's not true. Exactly. And Peter stated he put his jacket on first. And maybe that took about two minutes, right? So let's add an extra two minutes to the three minutes. That's five minutes. And then he sees Zhang just standing outside the restroom looking all chill. Already had killed Gao. So he ran from the lap area into the building, up three floors, killed Gao in four minutes, maybe five. What did he do with all the other jackets? That doesn't make any sense. He not only killed her, but he kicked open the latch of the locked door and dragged her body into the toilet area, walked out, and then him and Kenny were standing there without even breaking a sweat. But let's say he could. Who's to say that Gao was even able to get to the third floor by that time? So Gao got to school at around 6.13 a.m. She was still with Didi at the bike area, which is on the outskirts of the campus. So let's be fair. Let's say she ran to the man building, even though she was sick and allowed to skip assembly. But let's say she ran for whatever reason. It would take her at least five minutes to get to the main building. So now we're talking about like 6.18 a.m. Remember, Zhang was bringing up the jackets around 6.20 a.m. So he would have likely made it into the main building after Gao. And now Gao is running faster, booking it up like Stairmaster level, three flights of stairs. That would still take a while. But the roommates heard screams at 6.23 a.m. It just doesn't make sense that either of them are on the third floor by 6.23 a.m. And to add to that, there was evidence tested from the crime scene, biological evidence, and none of them matched Zhang. 
There was literally no physical evidence tying Zhang to the crime scene or the crime, which was honestly really messy. So it's not like someone meticulously wiped down every little thing and made sure nothing was left behind. It was just odd. So now witnesses can't even pinpoint him there at the right time because the timing doesn't make sense. DNA can't pinpoint him there. So nothing can pinpoint him to be in the restroom at that time to kill Gao. The second point that the attorneys made is the police stated Zhang went to go buy a new padlock from the school store before morning classes while Kenny was standing guard. But the school store doesn't open until 7.15 a.m., which is after morning classes are over. And there's a whole padlock saga online. Not only did it not make sense how he was able to buy a padlock when the store wasn't even open, but forensic evidence seemed to point in the direction that the crime itself likely happened in the toilet stalls where Gao was found, not near the sinks. So there wasn't really signs of struggle near the sink. And just psychologically speaking, experts said most killers choose secluded areas to commit their crimes. They want to feel comfortable, especially if it's their first time. So that means someone would have had to unlock that door first, whether by breaking it or having the key, then drag Gao in there, then assault and strangle her, which that doesn't make sense in terms of timing. So he's super speed. He's running up three floors, getting there, unlocking the door, then grabbing Gao, then dragging her. Like what? That's just crazy. Like you're in a school, you know, there's people walking around like everywhere. And the assembly is about to be over. The assembly does not last long. Exactly. And there's always students that skip assemblies. Yeah, there's teacher, there's like workers. Yeah. Yeah. According to Zhang's confession, he kicked open the padlock door, which people have a hard time believing that. Netizens start doing experiments with similar padlocks and door latches. They try kicking and kicking and half of them said it's possible, but not likely. The other half of them said it was impossible without at least damaging the door itself. And there were no reports that the door was damaged. And think of how hard it is to get the padlock open. Remember Janitor Lamb? He still had to use tools multiple times to get the padlock open. The new one. I mean, sure, maybe the new one is better than the old one, but still. And if the latch on the door had been broken, like Zhang's confession claimed, it would still have been pretty loose when Janitor Lamb went in to break the new padlock. So the latch would have broken before he broke the padlock. But it didn't leading Zhang's attorneys to believe that the padlock had to have been unlocked with a key and not broken. And Zhang would not have a key to that. Right. And third point has to do with the two main witness statements from Albert and Peter. They aren't the most reliable. Those two didn't even mention that there was another roommate in the room with them, who, by the way, the other roommate stated that he didn't hear any screams that morning. And another thing about their statements, Zhang's attorney argued in Albert's statement, he said that he didn't even know who was standing in front of the bathroom. He just could see their height. That was the only defining characteristic that he could give. He said the tallest one was 5'6". Zhang was 5'9 and 200 pounds. The attorneys argued he's pretty recognizable in the school. Adding to that, Zhang and Albert were friends in middle school. So it'd be kind of strange that he wouldn't even be able to recognize him, even if it was a little dark in the hallway. And the last issue with the two quote witness statements was when Gao went missing, they never mentioned any of these things. Not the screams, not the restroom, not seeing Zhang, nothing. It was only after her body was found 30 feet away from their dorm rooms that they were like, you know what? We did see two guys standing outside the bathroom and we heard screaming. Going by common sense, if someone went missing and you heard weird screams that morning, wouldn't that be the first thing that you tell the police? Yeah. And there is another thing, smaller detail than the others. But you know how Zhang confessed that he was turned on after reading the sexually explicit content in the horror stories book? There is no sexual content in that book. It's your typical high school horror book. The titles are like, the new student doesn't have legs. It, oh, It's like scary stories in the dark. You guys know that? 
series. Yeah, that's, that's what, what it's I'm like. saying. Like, there's no way. Yeah. Like, these books are mainly purchased by, like, middle schoolers, high schoolers. Like, there's no sexually explicit content. The titles are like Ghost Mirror, The Creepy School Fortune Teller, Don't Take Pictures at the Graveyard. These are the types of stories we're talking about. None of it was sexual. It seemed like the police didn't even read the book. And they just thought, you know what? We'll blame the book. Like how some adults will try to blame violence on video games. They're like, well, I don't have an answer. So let's just blame it on that. Just say he read the book and say he got turned on. That's what the attorneys believe. But what about the confession? Everything else can be argued back and forth. But Zhang himself admitted to the crime. Why is he suddenly taking it all back six years later? Zhang's attorney argued that he was coerced by the police into confessing. He was interrogated as a 15-year-old for over 30 hours with no parents or attorneys present. Zhang said in the 30 hours he was stuck in that room, he was beaten, electrocuted, slapped, and abused. He said he was so beat up that he couldn't even stand on his own by the end of it. His body was covered in bruises and electrocution marks. He said that the police would ask him a question, and if he answered honestly, and they didn't like his answer, they would beat him up. Then they would keep asking him the same question over and over again, beating him up nonstop until he gave them whatever answer they wanted. For instance, they asked him what color jacket Gao was wearing that day. Zhang had no clue. He didn't even know her. He never saw her that day, so he guessed white. The police took off their shoes and slammed it across Zhang's face with the bottom of their dirty soles. They were slapping him so hard he was seeing stars. And they're like, let me ask you again, what color was her jacket? He just kept guessing random colors until he finally guessed red. If Zhang pleaded with them to stop and said, please, I just don't remember, they would nicely state, well, Zhang, we're trying to help you remember. And then they would slap him. But it wasn't just the police there. Forensic technicians were also there to either guide Zhang in the right direction or even change their reports to match his, quote, confession. They're basically writing history. After his arrest, Zhang would meet up with prosecutors. So this is not the police, but they work with the police, you know, prosecutors. And he's trying to tell them, please, like, I want to recant my entire confession. I was coerced into making it. I, I, I'll give you my DNA. Like, you can, can you please prove that this isn't me? It's not me. They refused and they dragged him back to the police who smacked him around some more. Kenny, Zhang's accomplice, went through the same thing. He got three years and he stated that his confession was coerced. He said it was like, quote, filling in the blanks for the officers. Eventually, Zhang confessed to the entirety of the crime when he was 15. After 30 hours of physical and mental torture, Zhang said even when he heard the full confession come out of his mouth, he wanted to die. He said to confess to those types of crimes at 15, 16 years old, do you know what that's like? If they let me go at that time, I think I would have just wanted to die anyway. Like really, what's the point of living after admitting doing something like that? I don't really like doing chores around the house, I'm going to be honest with you, and I especially used to hate doing laundry. It was just one of my more tedious tasks. It takes so much time, and I often feel tempted to not even bother sorting out my clothes. But I've been trying to motivate myself to get a lot more organized, and I finally found a way to make doing my chores so much more interesting, so much more engaging, and that's by listening to audiobooks on Audible. You guys know me, there is nothing like playing a good psychological thriller. So obviously, that's what I've been listening to. I'm currently listening to The Housemaid by Frida McFadden. The main character, Millie, is out on parole and she's desperate for her job. She doesn't have any money. She's living out of her car and she gets this opportunity to be this rich family's housemaid. Millie agrees. 
even though there's just something really strange about the Winchesters. Especially the wife, Nina. She just seems to love finding ways to make Millie's life very difficult. The family is hiding something and Millie is hiding something and there's just so much tension between Millie and the husband. It's one of those stories that you can't stop listening to and I can't wait to finish it and start the next audiobook in this series. But if Thriller is not your thing, don't worry. Audible lets you pick from thousands of titles to find the perfect soundtrack to your day. You can find audiobooks from any genre, fiction, nonfiction, wellness, self-help. But they also have podcasts like this one, guided wellness programs, comedy, and originals. Living life without using Audible is like eating food with no seasoning. Sure, you still get your nutrients in, but it's missing that extra flavor, you know? So if you want to spice up your day, I highly recommend Audible. Audible members can keep one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. New members can try audible now free for 30 days visit audible.com slash rotten or text rotten to 500 500 that's audible.com slash rotten or text rotten to 500 500 to try audible free for 30 days i'm the type of person who's hyper aware of what i put in my body i have a lot of food intolerances and it feels like every year i discover new ones if you have allergies or ibs or you choose to avoid certain foods for personal reasons you know the food fomo is real and it's just not fun a month ago we went to cheju island which is famous for pork but because i'm allergic i was just standing there watching everyone gobble up the food and recently i almost gave up morning coffee because i'm so sensitive to dairy these days and black coffee just does not hit the spot thankfully i found out about minor figures and now i don't have to start my days on a bitter note. Literally, Minor Figures is an oat milk brand. They're 100% plant-based, carbon neutral, and B Corp certified. So not only do I get to enjoy my coffee, but I don't have to worry about anything irritating my stomach. There are no stabilizers or additives. And what I love is that Minor Figures Barista Oat really helps showcase the natural characteristics of the coffee. It's not just there to carry the coffee flavor, but it enhances it. So you know how at-home coffee never hits the spot like coffee shop coffee? With Minor Figures, it does. You can really taste the coffee versus the oat milk. It's delicious. You can buy their products online at us.minorfigures.com. You can also discover fun games, music playlists, and explore their store locator to see where you can buy Minor Figures near you. For my listeners in Denver and New York, Minor Figures is also now available at Whole Foods. Zhang was now a free man. After being labeled an R-worder, killer, necrophiliac for 15 years, the judge cleared his name. Wow. When he stepped out of court, he yelled to the reporters, Zhang is innocent. And the first thing that he did was go back to his old family home that he grew up in. And it had been 15 years since he had been back. They were recording his reaction, and I don't know what I was expecting. I guess I was expecting sadness, but also some sort of silver lining, like he's home now, right? It is such a depressing clip. He's walking through the old house and he starts tearing up, almost panicking. And at first he just says, I can't remember anything. But the more he walks into the house, he almost becomes scared and frantic. He just keeps crying. I can't remember anything. I can't remember this. I can't remember anything. I can't remember, mom. I can't remember. And Zhang's mom runs over and hugs him and says, it's okay. It's okay. It doesn't matter if you don't remember. My son, it's okay. This clip is one of the reasons that this case went viral recently. The murder itself took place in 2005, and it was widely talked about amongst true crime communities. And Zhang was released in 2020, and because of this emotionally charged clip, everyone wanted to know the backstory again. But nobody expected the backstory to be still full of mystery. After Zhang was freed, another question developed. Then who the hell did it? Because they've been free for 15 years. 
It didn't seem like the police were investigating anymore, nor could they really be trusted, so netizens came up with their own list of suspects. Netizen suspect number one was the best friend, Didi. She was the last one to see Gao alive. She said that she just vanished when she was putting her bike away. That's weird. How does someone just vanish? Or do you just not have a better explanation so you come up with this very loose description? Didi was the last person to hang out with Gao. Maybe she secretly hated her. Maybe she was jealous of her. Another odd thing was, Dee Dee kept insisting that the last time she saw Gao, Gao was wearing a yellow winter jacket. But Gao's body was found with her red puffer jacket underneath. Not yellow, red. Which added confusion to the investigation. At one point, the investigators, because of Dee Dee's jacket discrepancy, they thought maybe Gao left the campus. That's why she disappeared. And she went to go meet up with a boy. Maybe barbecue restaurant boy. She liked making friends online. Maybe Dee Dee knew that Gao was going to leave the school and run away to be with a guy. And maybe Dee Dee had a plan to help her skip classes to go run off with him. And now she's too scared to talk. That's why she remembered a yellow jacket. But after leaving, Gao got dressed in a red jacket, was murdered, and then brought back on campus. A lot of things don't make sense with this theory. One, everyone who knew Gao said that she would never run off with a guy. Her parents were wealthy. She was not easily swayed or impressed by some money. And if it was love, it probably wasn't because she was head over heels for Brian. So like, why would she run off with another guy? It just didn't make any sense. Two, if she did run off with another guy, why would they bring her body back to campus? It's a boarding school. Like, why would you risk that? Wouldn't it make more sense to hide a missing student's body, say, somewhere deep in the woods versus the restricted restroom that hundreds of students pass by every single day? And three, even if Dee Dee was involved in helping Gao run off with a guy, I would hardly say that's a crime and she does seem like a good friend. It, it just doesn't seem like there's any reason for her to not say anything. And about the jacket color discrepancy, maybe it's just too dark to remember. Then we have suspect number two. Janitor Lamb was the one who found the body. Netizens had questions about why Janitor Lamb chose to come in on that specific day to clean the restrooms. It was the middle of the New Year break. Everyone was spending time with family, and Lunar New Year is taken very seriously in China. Why did he leave his family to come clean bathrooms? When he could have maybe done it a day before the school opened? Did he want to make sure that he was the first one to find Gao? Make it seem more natural since nobody else would be around so he doesn't have to put on a show? It was also argued that the janitors of the boarding school, they don't just maintain the cleanliness of the school. They have a lot of other duties and they're actually pretty involved in the students' lives. Like they have to enforce curfew when they're on their shift, they sleep in the faculty dorms as well. So maybe he knew Gao and maybe he liked her and he had planned all of this. He has the key to the third floor restroom and maybe he thought this was the perfect crime. Janitor Lamb would argue that his family were big drinkers and they were always pushing drinks on him. So he left Lunar New Year celebrations to skip that. And it was really, really cold at the time. So it would make sense for Janitor Lamb, if he had killed Gao, to wait until it gets a bit hotter so that the body can decompose and be discovered later and there would be way less evidence preserved. So he was kind of ruled out by most netizens. But what about Janitor Huang, the other janitor? He also has keys to the padlocks. He was suspect number three. Now, there isn't really much evidence towards him. I think netizens had to consider him purely based off the fact that he had a set of keys to the restroom. But other than that, he was one of the janitors that really wanted to clean the restrooms ASAP. So it just didn't make sense for him. And if he was the one that killed Gao, he would probably want to find Gao's body and not let Janitor Lamb do it. 
Then we have the liar, suspect number four, Peter. Peter, the guy who saw Zhang outside the restroom 30 feet from his dorm room, one of the strongest witnesses that put Zhang behind bars, well, he was a little liar. Peter isn't even just some student that resides 30 feet away from the crime scene. He was the class president of Gao's class. Peter was Gao's class president, and it's so interesting because he has two completely different statements during the course of the investigation. When Gao initially went missing, she was just a missing person, and Peter's statement was, oh yeah, a few days ago before Gao went missing, there was a shift in her demeanor. I thought that she looked kind of like she was under a lot of pressure. She always looked shaken up, constantly putting her head down on the table, you know, trying to lay down. It was weird. I used to always be able to joke with her, but a few days before she vanished, she got mad anytime I tried to hang out with her. When I called her by her nickname, which is Cao Cao, Grass grass. Grass grass. She was annoyed. She always thought it was funny, but like randomly she's annoyed. It just seemed like she was on edge, you know? Personally, I don't think that anything happened to Gao. I think that she ran away or maybe she went into hiding. When police asked him why, he said he didn't know. That was just his theory. Just one thing I want to point out, calling someone a nickname like Cao Cao, like, so Chinese, what they do is like, let's say your, your name is three letters. Mm-hmm. We will usually take the last letter and double it. Mm. So it's almost like a nickname. Your parents will call you. Mm. Someone very close call you endearingly, like your little mm-hmm. nickname. Mm-hmm. It's like Steffi, Steph, like even more. Like cl- Steph, Steph. Steph, Steph, like, like that, very cute. I, you don't call that just a classmate that you kind of know. You must be really close to them for for you to call them that. Hmm. Or not really close. Like you got to have somewhat of a relation. You don't just come to someone and say, what's your name? Oh, Steph, Steph. Like you don't do that. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And that makes it more interesting because this is what he's saying after Gal goes missing. No mention of screaming in the restroom. No mention of anything. Right. He's just like, oh, yeah, she seemed on edge. I called her grass grass and she didn't seem happy about it. And then now that Gao's body is found, he's got a whole other story about being in the dorm room, investigating screams coming out of the restroom and running into Zhang. When authorities asked him, why didn't you tell us about the screaming earlier? He just said, for the teacher's good. For the teacher's good? And everyone was like, what does that even mean? The police didn't even further ask questions. Like, why would he say that? Like, what does that mean? He doesn't elaborate further. So netizens came up with their own theory. Suspect number five, the homeroom teacher, Mr. Fu. The night that Gao went missing, Gao's dad had rushed to the school because of her milk that was left on the table, remember? Yeah. And one of the first people that he wanted to talk to was Mr. Fu. And not necessarily because he thought Mr. Fu was bad or had anything to do with Gao's disappearance. Mr. Fu was Gao's homeroom teacher. Now, just to give you some context, homeroom teachers in China are basically your parent at school because you know how in the U.S. you go from class to class as a student and your teachers constantly change and you maybe spend like 30 minutes with your homeroom teacher In China, you stay in the same class with the same group of people and the teachers go class to class. Mm -hmm. So you're at the same desk with the same neighbors, same kids, same homeroom teacher. Everything is like very stable. And your homeroom teacher almost becomes like your parent. So if you are late, you're tardy, you're absent, you go to your homeroom teacher. Yeah. And the right-hand man or woman for this homeroom teacher is the class president. So we can assume if anyone was close to Mr. Fu, it would be Peter. So if he was talking about any teacher and any teacher's good, it would be Mr. Fu. So Gao's dad is trying to talk to Mr. Fu that night, but turns out Mr. Fu left early. School officially ends at 9.30 p.m., but he left at 5 p.m. He gets Mr. Fu's number from the administrators, and he's not picking up his phone. They even pulled Mr. Fu's emergency contact list to ask, hey, 
family members of Mr. Fu, where's Mr. Fu? And nobody is getting responded calls. The next morning, January 11th, Tuesday morning, Mr. Fu shows up to work and Gao's dad has been waiting for him. He starts asking him about yesterday. Where was Gao? What happened yesterday? Why didn't you pick up your phone last night? To which Mr. Fu apologizes for not picking up his calls. He said that he went to his girlfriend's house and didn't think to check his phone. And as for Gao, she wasn't in class yesterday, which was Monday, and I haven't seen her since Friday, so before the weekend. What? Later, Mr. Fu was interviewed by the police, and he stated that he did notice some weird behavior from Gao before she went missing. He said, a few days before she vanished, she received a letter. Remember the letter in the toilet? How would he know that? That's not something students share with teachers. Yeah, but he, he said he saw it. He What? said, I don't know who or where the letter came from, but she looked very serious and then tore it to pieces. That's all. That's all we have on that. When police asked what he thought happened to Gao, he said, I personally think the odds of her leaving on her own without telling anyone are high. This is when she was just missing. I don't think she had enemies. I don't think anyone would want to hurt her. So all of this, I mean, nothing's really that creepy. But netizens now analyze Mr. Fu's statement about what he did on January 10th. He said, on January 10th, I woke up at 6 a.m. when the school's wake-up bell rang. The school gathers for the flag-raising ceremony at 6.15 every Monday. And that morning, I had a headache and I woke up late. So when I got up, the flag-raising ceremony had already ended and students had already started the morning jog. They had already run like half a lap. I joined the run at the very end, but I didn't see Gao Ting and I didn't pay much attention. After the morning exercise, they had morning classes. Mr. Fu did not see Gao Ting, but he just assumed, well, she had been sick the past few days, so maybe she just didn't make it to school. After breakfast, he went back to afternoon classes and she's still not there. And then in the afternoon... Mr. Fu decided, I'm going to leave early at 5 p.m. to go visit my girlfriend. Now, he went to go stay with his girlfriend that night. He slept over. That's why he didn't check his phone. And he came back via the bus the next morning to attend to his classes. On surface level, maybe it's normal, like nothing to see here. But a few odd things. His girlfriend lives in a town that would take two hours by public transport to get there. No freaking way. Probably even more. So like a two and a half hour journey. Two hours like now. I'm sure back then the transport wasn't as good. So he said he arrived at his girlfriend's house around 8 p.m. He left the school around 5 p.m. Then he would have to show up to school the next day at 6.15 a.m. So just to be safe, he would have to leave his girlfriend's house the next morning at 3.30 a.m. Would he really spend six hours traveling just to spend eight hours with his girlfriend on a school day? Netizen said it's very hard to imagine a teacher doing this considering that it was just the weekend. So wouldn't he have just spent time with her through the weekend? But maybe he missed his girlfriend so much. Still a bit strange. Why would he still not at least contact Gao's parents to ask if she was at home or if she was feeling okay when she's gone from class? That's the standard protocol for homeroom teachers. Yeah. So Mr. Fu, the day Gao went missing, not only did he not alert Gao's parents, but he ditched school at 5 p.m. when the day officially ends at 9.30 p.m. He took a three-hour train ride to visit his girlfriend, turned off his phone, and knew nothing about what happened to Gao. Yeah, that makes no sense. Then remember the padlocks, how the janitors have the keys? Well, they have three sets of keys and each padlock has three keys. So they put a key on each one. And these janitors don't really take these keys home. They have them locked in the staff room, which a lot of staff could have access to. And the blunt force trauma on Gao's head, it stated that it could have been inflicted by an object like a flashlight. Remember how I said there was little pieces of glass embedded yes. into her forehead? The glass Flash cover of the flashlight. This one is iffy. Um, not a lot of netizens believe in the flashlight theory, even if they think that Mr. Fu is guilty. They think that he could have um, 
committed that type of trauma injuries with other things but some people think that he was trying to hit her with the brunt end of the flashlight and then when it wasn't working and she was still screaming the flashlight he turned it over and started hitting her with the glass part the glass shattered and some of it embedded into her forehead now why is the flashlight important Typically, the homeroom teachers at the boarding school, they all had flashlights on them all the time because they were in charge of monitoring the halls at night to make sure that no students were out of bed or sneaking around. I don't believe in the homeroom teacher doesn't answer phone call theory because my aunt is a homeroom teacher. It's like they're kids, basically. You're responsible for everything about them. Yeah. Especially boarding school. Like, I just don't see that happening. Yeah, and from what I can tell, I wonder if it's kind of like Korea. So I know in the U.S., like in the Western world, when you're off, you're off. Like, that's kind of the sentiment. In So in China, homeroom yes. teacher is always responsible. If you're out, you always have someone replace you. So you will have like a math teacher saying, hey, he will be the temporary homeroom teacher. So mm-hmm. anybody needs anything, approval, you need to go home early, you need you have emergencies talk to this person Mm, they're that important yes you don't just leave in the middle of the day and expect nobody needs anything because there's always something needs approval from Mm. your teacher yeah and the phone thing yeah the phone thing is kind of weird especially if you leave early you would pay attention to your phone because you're like i left early man what if something happened Regardless, all of this is, I guess, circumstantial evidence. But the weirdest part is that after Gao disappeared before her body was found, students reported Mr. Fu telling them passionately that if anyone asks about Gao's incident, they should just tell them that Gao ran away. The netizen theory is that Mr. Fu took a liking to Gao and perhaps he even wrote that letter. We don't know. Or he found that letter and was upset that Gao was seeing someone else and he felt territorial over her. So that he decided he was going to assault her. He knew that she wasn't going to the morning assembly that day because she had gotten his permission last night or like the weekend before because she was sick. He could have easily asked her, hey, can you help me upstairs on the third floor with something? He could have already unlocked the padlocks to the third floor restricted restroom and he would start assaulting Gao and lead to her death is the theory. Perhaps Peter and Albert did hear some screaming, but Mr. Fu told Peter that if he shuts his mouth, Mr. Fu will give him privileges and help him become successful and get him into a better college. And in places like China, going against your homeroom teacher can result in your academic life going down in the gutter. So maybe he made up a random story to give to the police, which explains why he never mentioned screaming when the police first investigated Gao's disappearance. Mm. And he's switching up his story. He's throwing Zhang under the bus. Like, none of it is adding up. Then Mr. Fu replaced the padlock just to make it harder for the other teachers, students, or janitors to get in if they wanted, and even visited Gao after her passing to commit more heinous acts, is the theory. But because the police aren't really investigating... Mr. Fu is a free man, and we don't know if he did it or not. It's just a theory. And he's still a teacher. Wow. And everybody else, still free. Experts say that whoever committed this crime, the necrophilia aspect, the slicing of the knife, it pointed to a very scary profile of a killer. Likely someone who has some sort of erectile dysfunction or performance anxiety, who tried to assault Gao but failed, and that triggered this rage inside of them. So to further feel that power and humiliation, they killed and performed acts of necrophilia to redeem themselves from being weak and unable. As for Kenny and Zhang, the two wrongfully convicted of the murder, Kenny spent three years in prison, which isn't as long as Zhang's 15 years, but the course of his life completely changed. He couldn't go to college. He couldn't get hired for any real jobs. He could only do hard manual labor. And not saying that's not a real job, but I'm saying like it's a rough job. Yeah, just the whole life is ruined. Yeah. I mean, his whole family was shamed. You know, in Asia, it's like your family is part of you too. He's 
yeah. he's a criminal. Yeah. And not just a criminal. Like, it's a pretty bad crime. Yeah, yeah. As for Zhang, his life isn't any easier now. His father passed away from brain cancer. His grandparents are dead. His only living grandfather doesn't even recognize him because he's like, I don't remember you. That was so long ago. And he looks so different now. And the only one that ever believed in his innocence, his mom, she's got a full head of gray hair and she spent most of her life in pain. He said every one of their passings was like torture to me. Even though I didn't commit the crime, my case contributed to their early death. I can't even see them one last time. That's my biggest regret. Zhang filed for financial compensation for the wrongful conviction. He requested a million dollars for 15 years, which isn't a lot, and a reputation trashed. He was only given $465,000. And when he was handed a check from the court, they literally just looked at him and said, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> wow, I'm just... No remorse, no understanding. Nothing. And in prison, he had to work 10 hours a day every single day since he was 15. It was rough. And he said the worst part is for six years, he never told his mom that he was innocent because how would that help? He knew that the police were terrifying. He knew that the prosecutors were in on it. So were the forensic experts. If he told his mom, his mom would only feel more heartbreak feeling the injustice. It's one thing if your kid did something wrong and they're now paying the consequences. But if your kid didn't do it, and they're paying the consequences. And in Asian culture, a lot of parents blame themselves if they're not financially capable. They feel like if I just had some money, if I was a better parent and could provide more money, maybe I could have lawyered up and they wouldn't be here. So he didn't want that for her. That's why he didn't say anything. He also said it was um, kind of a wake-up call. He said it's like waking up in a fantasy land. He went into prison 15 in 2005 and he came out in like 2020 and he's like, I don't know any of this technology stuff. I feel like I'm living in the future. Like you see those movies and you don't know how to use any of these like flying cars. That's what it feels like. But at least the world knows that he's not a monster. Twelve officials were investigated in the connection to this case. And we still don't know who killed Gao Ting. Because whoever did it is free. Please let me know your thoughts in the comments. Please stay safe. And I will see you guys on Wednesday for the main episode. Bye.